Good morning, fellowship, and may I add my welcome uh, to the welcomes that have already been given to, to those of you in the community, or honestly, around the United States and around the world. We're so glad that you've joined us. My name is Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Fellowship. If you have your Bibles, let's take them and let's go ahead and turn to that passage that the Tappelman family just read. Uh, you'll notice, and, and I hope you're encouraged by this if, you're, if you've been at Fellowship for a while, we are going back to the book of Colossians. And uh, y'all, it's been uh, 12 weeks since we've been there. And so we're going to go back into the book of Colossians. Uh, prior to stepping out for coronavirus, y'all, we did 22 messages. So we're now, we're now at message 23, and it's kind of like, oh, how do we get, how do we catch up on those 22 to get where we are? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that here uh, in just a moment. By way of context, as we dive back in, uh, this letter to the church at Colossae is just like a lot of Paul's letters, you know, where he, he takes the first part of the letter and he writes about doctrinal truths. He takes the second part of the letter and he's talking about practical application. That's exactly what he does in this letter. Chapters one and two, the doctrine of Christ, the exalted Christ, uh, the, the, the Colossians creed that we, that we just read and we've been reading all the way through Colossians. Then in chapters three and four, he takes what he's uh, formulated in chapters one and two, it says, now in light of that, here's how you live. Here's what you do. Here's, here's our responsibility as those who have a new identity in Christ. Um, last time we were together, you got to go all the way back to first part of March on this. Rob Sweet uh, taught Colossians 3, and he, and he picked up this section that's called um, the household codes. And it's, um, it, it starts in chapter 3, verse 18. It goes through chapter 4, verse 1. So he took 18 through 21. And in those household codes, and you remember Rob walked us through this, he talks to wives, talks to husbands, he, he speaks to children, he speaks to dads. And then without even taking a breath, he now is going to speak to bond servants and masters. And just saying that, and I can tell you, preparing it, it's like, you know, I, I, I'm triggered even when I say that. S slaves and masters, that's what he talks about. And so I'm, I'm going to need to take a moment and, and get us into the context itself um, as we talk about this topic. Because, y'all, this is, honestly, this is one of those passages where it has been misused. It has been misapplied. And uh, the way we we avoid that is we teach it in its context, honestly, which is why, by the way, we teach the way we do when we go through books, uh, books of the Bible. So in order to not misuse this text and, and misapply it, uh, we're going to we're going to go go into this cultural and biblical context. Now, the way that, you know, I, I can't go through all 22 messages prior, uh, but there is a way to set the context that is super helpful. And, and you're going to be familiar with this. Rob and I are huge fans of a website called The Bible Project. And, and Rob actually used this clip I'm going to show you. Uh, he used it to set up the whole household codes. So this whole section that we're still in, by the way, is set up by this little section that the Bible Project does and gives it, they give an overview of Colossians and then they give an overview of this particular section. So in order to gain the context, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you watch uh, this section from the Bible Project on the household codes, this part that we are in. 
Paul then gets really practical and he shows the Colossians what this new humanity might look like in a first century Roman household, which was a highly authoritarian institution where the male patriarch held the power of life and death over his wife and children and slaves. Not so in a Christian household. Here, the risen Jesus is the true Lord. And so, in the Lord, the wife allows her husband to become responsible for her. And the husband is subject to Jesus by loving his wife and placing her well-being above his own. In a home where Jesus is Lord, children are not objects but are called to maturity and to respect. And parents are to raise their children with patience and understanding. Christians who are slaves are to honor their human masters precisely because they're not the real master. Jesus is. And Christians who have slaves are to understand that this slave is not their property, but rather a fellow member of Jesus' body to be honored and embraced in love. And Paul's walking a very fine line here. He is reshaping the most basic Roman institution around Jesus who rules by his self-giving love. And so while he doesn't abolish the household structure outright, the exalted Messiah demands that it be transformed almost beyond the point of recognition for any Roman living in Colossae. Okay, now, uh, I want you to take note of the, the, the slide and, and look at that slide uh, there on, on your screen. And notice we're in the, the household code, so to speak. And it says Jesus is Lord of the house, right? And Jesus is over the whole household. And I, I, I want you to note, and this is context, in Paul's view, uh, bond servants and masters, y'all, they're part of the household. So again, that helps us understand this context and what Paul's speaking of when he speaks here of bondservants and masters. Our minds immediately, and, and, and rightfully so, can go to our own American history and uh, our, 19, or, our uh, slavery in our day. And that's not what Paul is in, it, per se describing here. Um, I want to say this, you know, when, when the church used verses like this to uh, justify slavery. It was wrong. Uh, slavery's wrong. Slavery's always wrong. Slavery is evil. Uh, all of that, I, I want to be absolutely clear as I say that. And, and I'm not going to, you know, take Paul off the hook here by any means, but I'm going to try and keep us in the context to say, what do we make of this in, in light of Paul's words. And I'm, I'm going to lean on some help from, from the experts here. And um, I want to put a quote up there for you by New Testament scholar John Woodhouse. And, and it helps us understand. And I want, want you to know in the context, Paul, Paul didn't write this to you know, eliminate slavery. It's not why he wrote it. We got to go, well, why did he write it? Well, he wrote it to, to call every Christian, okay, whatever your station in life, to live out your identity in Christ. That's the purpose of the passage. Regarding slavery at that time, look at this quote with me and you can follow along as I read it. Woodhouse writes, it is a mistake to think that the institution we encounter in passages like Colossians 3 was the same as the 19th century phenomenon. These would have been domestic slaves serving within the household. Some 80 to 90% of the inhabitants of Rome were slaves or former slaves. Slavery was not race-based. Slaves were usually prisoners of war, although a person could sell himself or herself into slavery. Slaves had certain rights under Roman law. Being a slave 
certainly not a desirable condition, but we ought to recognize the historical context of the Bible's words and not read into them a situation that they were not then addressing, end quote. Many of the bondservants, so when Paul says bondservants, okay, many of those that he's speaking in this context, they were house servants. And again, I'm going to say this, they were part of the household. That's how they were viewed in that day. Um, it, some of, some, many of them, and again, this, it, it, I think it's helpful to know that, that slaves in that day were doctors, lawyers, accountants, teachers, all of those white-collar professions uh, were, many were slaves. Now, this is really important because as I, and I, we, we interpret and apply this passage, I want to say this, it's not by direct correlation because there's not a direct correlation of like, you know, the, the, the slaves and employee and the, uh, the master is the business owner. It's not a direct correlation, but in principle, uh, it, it's, it's agreed that the, the, in principle, the current day application of this text is employer and employee. This is how we can apply it in our day. But I want to again say it's not by a direct correlation, but by principle. So all that's background to say, you know, Paul's going to unpack for us some words around our work, quite frankly, our jobs. And y'all, what he says, I think it's a wake-up call. It is, it is for me, and I've been praying it would be a be a wake-up call in the best sense of the word for all of us, and I hope it lands squarely on us such that, honestly, uh, we don't view our work, we don't view it ever again the same way, but we'll view it biblically. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk through the passage. So if you've got your Bibles there and you have them open, I'm going to read the verse, I'm going to make a few comments, and then I'm going I'm to end with three principles or lessons. And, and may I say, there are many more, and I hope you would uh, you know, dive into and get those, but I'll give you three here at the end. Follow along in your Bibles. Let's start with uh, Colossians 3, and we're going to start in verse 22. I'm just going to read 22 and make a comment. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. I want to note here, he says, in everything, this is, this is all inclusive. Like, think of, and again, we're going to think of this as an employer and an employee, those, you know, in, in your work, you do, you do everything your boss tells you to do. You do everything your company requires you to do. Caveat. We take the whole of scripture, we know this, we don't do what's immoral. Uh, so, you know, let's bear that in mind as we listen to Paul. And there's no doubt that in these situations that slaves were asked to do things that were dead wrong. As a Christian, no, you don't do something that violates God's moral standards. At the same time, there's a lot about your job and your work you don't like. Paul says, do it. <coughs> Excuse me, do your job. Um, you notice there's two negatives here. here here's, here's not the way to work, Okay. Uh, he says, not by way of eye service, not as people pleasers. And, you know, all of us kind of go, oh my gosh, I know somebody like that. All they do, you know, they only work when the boss is there, et cetera, et cetera. And, and my encouragement to all of us is look in the mirror. You know, let's, let's examine ourselves in this regard. Um, you know, my work history is, is, is marked by good and bad experiences because of me, not because necessarily my employers, but... It, it, when I read this, it, I, I thought about my, um, uh, after my senior year in high school, I, I worked 
at uh, the Jersey Manier Zinc Plant in Clarksville, Tennessee. Now, they, did, they were building it. Y'all, we're talking, I'm telling you, this thing was, ma- I mean, it, it, would, it goes beyond the trees way back there. This is hundreds and hundreds of acres. They're building this plant to process zinc. And I'm 18 years old. I get a job out there. I'm a laborer. And so on my hard hat, I've got an L. There's an L on the hard hat. And then there's a number. I'm labor crew 12. And um, I'm I'm the bottom of the totem pole. So we did all the labor stuff, clean up, sweep up, haul trash, do whatever it is. And I hated that job. Let me tell you why I hated the job. I hate it because a lot of times there wasn't, we didn't have stuff to do. And y'all, we worked 10 hour days. and, And my supervisor made clear to us, hey, if you see a blue hat coming, because the guys with the blue hat, they would walk around and they would be writing, oh, there's a labor 13 sleeping. Oh, there's a, you know, carpenter 32. You know, he's, and he made it clear. He says, man, if you see that, he goes, you better act like you got something to do. And honestly, working like that is way more exhausting, isn't it? Than you have a job and you're doing it. But it was, it was so that it was, you know, you got you to you really go after it when the man's watching you know, and, and you got to really do this if you want to move up. And it, that's not the way a Christian works. Instead, note he says, our work is to be with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. It's a big word for us. Sincerity of heart means wholehearted, thoughts, emotions, desires. With your whole being, with all that you are, you do that work for your boss and your company, your job, whatever it may be. And he says, fearing the Lord. And you know, fearing the Lord, it's not, you know, you're, you're afraid, you know, of your boss. It's fearing the Lord is a reverential awe, a desire not to displease our God. Um, I've got another work experience. This one was much better when uh, the next summer, um, uh, I finished my freshman year in college and I moved to Memphis. I've got uh, relatives there and, and I went to move in with uh, uh, Aunt Isla and Uncle Bill and um I lived with him because he had an elect, electrical company, contracting company, and I lived with him because I worked for him. <laughs> and he's one of the, the, the men in my life I admire so much for his own work ethic, character, all those things. So I'm working for Uncle Bill, and I'm going to tell you something. I, I was still a laborer, you know. I don't have any electrical skills. But I, I truly, during that summer, I, I did not want to disappoint my Uncle Bill. And it wasn't, I wasn't afraid of him. It was that sense of, He's given me this opportunity and I want to honor it with all that I am. That's my Uncle Bill. Now, not to diminish my Uncle Bill, but let's take Jesus, okay? Let's go to God Almighty. And we begin to feel this sense of, no, I, my, my work matters and I want to honor the Lord in that. I want to do it in the fear of the Lord. Well, he tells us, you know, why we do our work that way. Look at verses 23 to 25. We're going to touch on that and then I'll get the last verse. Verse 23, start there. Whatever you do, work, (coughs) excuse me, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. You know, boil it all down, and he comes right out of the shoes, he just says this, Jesus is your boss. In, in way, ter- no, no one can misunderstand that. Jesus is your boss. And you may go, well, yeah, he's your boss. You're, you work at the church, man. He's your boss. And I, you're, no, here's what he's saying. He's your boss. No, man, I, I work at, you know, 
Optum. He's your boss. You know, he's Jesus is our boss. He's he is master. Um, positively, he says, look, look, he's do this for an inheritance. He says a reward. Well, what is he talking about the inheritance? Well, don't turn there, but back in chapter one, verse 12, he says, may thanksgiving arise in our hearts when we remember that God's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Our, listen, y'all, our future is all, you know, we, we get all that Christ gets. All that Christ is, is ours. That's, that's why we work as unto the as unto the Lord. Negatively, this is stark. And I hope, you know, this, this kind of hits me pretty hard. He says, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there's no partiality. Now, here's what strikes me when I read this. You're reading about, you know, worker, employee. And he said, and then he calls the, he calls the, the person who doesn't do their job as unto the Lord, a wrongdoer. And I go, wait, no, no, we're just talking about work here. We're not talking about moral issues. No, he says it's a wrong doer. And, you know, it's, it's what it, you think it means. It's, it's, it's to do harm is, is what it means, you know, literally to do harm or to injure. And I'm going to say more on that in a moment, but that, that's just sobering to me. Then he ends the section by um, addressing uh, masters. And so let's just grab that and then I'm going to give you these lessons. Masters, verse 4. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, it, it, don't, don't miss this. Do you notice how much he talks about the bond slave and then how little he talks about the master? You know, can't be for sure why all that, but it, in part, it's, it puts the onus, doesn't it, in a sense, on, on, on the employee. But, but, but I don't want to miss this, that from the master side, from the employer side, um, everything's level ground because he just says to those who are, you know, here's the boss and here's you. He says to the boss, you do understand you and those who work for you, you're all under the lordship of Christ. He said, we all, we're all, you know, accountable to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, our master in heaven. Okay, here we go. I want to give you three uh, applications as, as we look at this and, and I'll repeat them more than once. So you get them and they'll be on the screen. Here's, here's the first lesson I'd like you to consider. How you work is a moral issue. How you do your job. Um, you know, the team's putting together all this so we can, you know, have online services. How, how they set things up is a moral, a, a moral issue. How you paint a house, if you're a painter, is a moral how you do the work you do is a moral issue. When our, when our motivation is anything less than working heartily, let's think the words working heartily as unto the Lord, he says we're wrongdoers. He, he's saying less than this, I think, that being a poor worker, being a poor worker is morally wrong. Now, I thought of this proverb because I've always read this proverb and it's always spooked me. And I think it applies here. Proverbs 18.9 says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. I want you to think about it for a second. He's saying whoever, whoever doesn't do his job well or doesn't do it heartily as unto the Lord is a brother to, and what that means is, is just like someone who destroys. That, that's a wake-up call to me. 
You know, it may not show in the moment, but what, what the proverb says, and I think what Paul is saying here is um, someone who does the work half-heartedly, okay, um, is actually sowing destruction. It's not like, wait, you just have half-hearted job. That's not, no, that's destruction. It's totally valueless when we're not working as unto the Lord. Okay, so how you work is a moral issue. Number two, the paycheck worth living for comes not in this life. I got, I, I got kidded about even how I phrased that, but I, I did it this way for a reason. The paycheck worth living for, okay, comes not in this life. You don't, you don't get that paycheck in this life. That's what it means when he says, you know, we work for the, for the inheritance that is ours. That's coming. You know, when you work for, when you and I work for a paycheck in this life, and by all means, we, we work to get paid. So I'm not discounting that. But when, 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 when we're committed to and all we're working for is the paycheck that we get in this life, the money we get in this life, then what happens is you become a slave, okay, to all the things that are passing. So if that's what we're living for is that paycheck, which by the way is passing, then you become a slave to all that's passing. And, and really life becomes about more this, more that, possessions, uh, more position, higher position, more money, etc. But when we're working for the paycheck, we don't get in this life. In other words, I'm, I mean, I need to get a paycheck and it's right to be paid, but that's not my ultimate goal is, is the paycheck in life. But my ultimate aim is the inheritance that is, is ours and mine in Christ. When that is my, when I'm working for that, I'm going to tell you, you become a slave to things that last forever. And, and truly, when that's our deep motivation, then I'll tell you what you get passionate about. It's, it's honestly not, it's not necessarily the paycheck and the money that you're getting. It's the it's the eternal impact and influence you can have on people. And you become a slave to things that last forever. There's only two things, the souls of men and the word of God. And, and we live for that, not the paycheck that we're going to get in this life. And then there's a third one. So here's the last uh, lesson I'll ask you to consider. Because um, you, you kind of, and it's this, your job, your job is your ministry. Uh, your, your, your work is your ministry. You'd think if, um, gosh, if someone's just living for like living for heaven or living for what things that are eternal, that they would neglect the things that aren't eternal, you know, and, and, and would do a poor job. That is so off the charts wrong. When, we're, when our heart is in it for the Lord and we're living for what lasts forever, I'm telling you, then your work on earth takes on huge significance and it really matters. And you want to be the best and do the best that you can in the work that God is giving you. I, I, this is going to shock you when I say this, but it's actually wrong, okay? Unless you have permission, et cetera, et cetera. It's actually wrong to, um, yeah, I started saying it and I said, maybe I didn't, I'm going to say it. It's actually, it's wrong to take time with people at your work to pray with them and share your faith and do a Bible study. And if it's, if you don't have permission it's, and it's, it's on company time per se. Now, again, if, you know, of course, as a Christian, we, we'll do that. And if God gives you opportunities, you do that. But that's not what you're getting paid for. So, so when you're in your job, you do your job. And, and here's why I want to say this. When you and I are doing our work as unto the Lord, can I tell you what you're doing? You are shouting to people around you, Jesus is the center of my life. When you do your job, you know, that is your 
greatest witness and testimony. I, I really believe this, y'all. 99.99999% of us, okay, will not go in, go be a missionary per se vocationally or be a pastor. In, we won't. We'll be in jobs. And that's the way God intends it. And therefore, your work is your greatest platform for, for proclaiming Christ, for helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. Can I say this? It's not the Bible studies you go to. It's not coming to church. It's doing your job and doing it with excellence and zeal, um, giving your, your boss more than he or she may be paying you for it because you do it because you're doing it as unto the Lord. That's, I'm telling you, that, that's what tells the world around you. Jesus is the center of all things. Got it? Okay, so those three lessons I, I would ask you to consider. Uh, close your Bibles, and I'm going to tell you a story as we wrap up. Um, this is a, a story that uh, I, I heard it several years ago, and it, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, one of my uh, favorite authors, um, uh, told this story. It, it's a parable. So, you know, in a parable, it's not a true story, but a parable comes alongside of the truth so that the truth is like, whoa, there's the truth, okay? So this is a parable that she told. I want to offer it to us. It's called The Legend of the Stones, but Jesus uh, took his disciples one day, and as he, he often did, he took them on a walk. And at the beginning of the walk, he said, um, I want all of you to pick up a, pick up a stone for me. And they all pick up a stone. Peter picks up a you know, little pebble. Others pick up big ones. John pick up a big one. And they go for a walk. And um, they end up going up a mountain, which, you know, is, is not easy. They, they get to the top of the mountain. Jesus has everybody sit down and they're sitting around and Jesus turns their stones into bread. Of course, John, John has a feast. You know, Peter has a crumb. And so he's, he's a bit upset. And then they go on, you know, they come down the mountain, etc. So and then there's another occasion. And, and here, here we go again. Jesus takes his disciples and he says, I want everybody to, I want everybody to pick up a stone for me. Peter. You know, says, so I got this. And so he, you know, he picks up something bigger than John carried the first time. Honestly, it's a mini boulder. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weight, you know, that he carries. And he's trudging, trudging. Uh, Jesus doesn't go up a mountain this time, you know. Thank goodness, you know, Peter's thinking. But, it, but the whole time Peter's going, you know, he's carrying this boulder. He's thinking, I can't wait for lunch. You know, I can't wait to eat. So Jesus takes them by the river. What a pastoral setting. And they're just, they're standing by the river. And Jesus says, everybody throw your rock in the river. Everybody throws a rock in the river. And Jesus says, come on, let's keep going. And, and you can imagine Peter's like, what? And as they're walking, Jesus comes alongside Peter and he says, Peter, who were you carrying the stone for? And I think this passage, it, it asks the same question, you all. And, and this is one we all have to answer. Who do you work for? Honestly, who, who do you work for?
I'm going to pray for us in a, in a moment as I dismiss us. But I want you to sit with that question. I want you to go back through, if, you, if you've written them down or they'll be online, go back through the, the lessons as we walk through them, how you work some moral issue. The paycheck worth living for comes not in this life and your job is your ministry. And invite the Spirit to show you what He's inviting you to do with those truths. Father, thank you for your word today. So practical. May we hear it. May we do it in the power of your spirit. Amen. Okay, before you go, you note there, there's a, a tab, live prayer. Click the tab. There are people there. Even as we, the, the service ends, there are people there to pray with you. And you know, if we were in person, we'd say, come up and pray. So click it, go there, and please, please let us pray with you. So we've gathered this morning, haven't we? Now we, now we scatter, so to speak. Um, I want you to, to be reminded, our neighborhoods, our homes, listen, our, our places of work, they are in fact the very places that God places us, placed you, Right? to do your job, <laughs> and in doing that, to proclaim in your work, Jesus is the center of all things. I'll leave you with this from Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God bless, and uh, can't wait to see you next week.